0: Immigrantly family, it's Sadia Khan back with another episode for your listening pleasure. And if you're new, welcome. Just a recap for those who are joining us for the first time. Immigrantly is a podcast interested in the stories of immigrants, As an immigrant myself, I know how easily these stories get sidelined. So every week, I sit down with a special guest to discuss anything and everything that falls under their immigrant experience. No sidelined stories here, guys. And really quickly, before I start, I know the year is coming to an end, but worry not. Don't say goodbye to 2022 just yet. Immigrantly has one more episode on the docket, and in our final episode of the year, we'll even be featuring some opinions from you guys. Yep, you heard it right. If you would like to be part of this, you can reach out to us on Instagram, or you can simply email us at info at immigrantlypod.com. Okay, let's begin. Mm One thing that's been on my mind is this idea of following your passion. And more specifically, I want to focus on creative passions today. Now, I did that. I decided to drop everything, not pursue my career in the space that I was working in, and decided to switch to media and podcasting. But what does following your passion really look like? How many aspiring actresses, dancers, writers, and artists Even podcasters have been told that their powers won't make them any money. How many of them stop chasing their creative dreams altogether? It happens a lot, right? Well, our next guest did the very thing that many people would be terrified of doing. Today, I'm interviewing Maya Fuji, a Japanese artist who dropped out of grad school to follow her passion. Leaving school to do what you love takes guts which is why I am so, so, so excited to talk to Maya. And she's had a pretty amazing journey so far. This year alone, Maya has held solo exhibitions in two San Francisco art galleries. The first one was in May at Wasp Gallery, and the second one opened just recently at Swim Gallery in November. It will be open until January 7th. So don't worry, California-based listeners you still have time to check it out. So let's get started. Maya, welcome. I am so excited to have you here. And I know you and I have been going back and forth on a good (laughs) interview
1: date, right? Yes. Yes, I've been a little busy preparing for this show. So thank you for being patient with me. But we nailed it. We are doing it today.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're based in San Francisco, right? I am, yeah. And you had your most recent solo exhibition. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about the process, how you prepare for your exhibitions. But before that, something that really intrigued me about your exhibition is that it's a tribute to your grandmother. you honor your grandmother through this. And I really want to do a deep dive into your relationship with your grandmother. What are some of your favorite memories from your time spent with her in Japan? Can you share something with us? And how do you integrate that into your artwork?
1: So every summer we used to visit my grandmother and we would spend like two to three months during the summer breaks from school with her. But also like in elementary school, my my grandfather wasn't doing so well at the time. So I used to spend half a year in Japan some years and I would go to school out there and where we would stay was at my grandmother's house. She had a little like corner store type thing. So it was like a little bodega and it was a cigarette shop, but she sold everything. So there's like shampoo, candy, (laughs) like toilet paper, like whatever you could think of and people from the neighborhood would come to buy cigarettes and then there was a little chair. So they would hang out, you know, smoke their cigarettes and then gossip basically. So it was like a little gathering spot, which I, when I was a kid, I thought it was regular, but it was um, something very special, I think, because I got to meet all the people from the neighborhood and, um, and it's a very like countryside type shop. Now there's like convenience stores everywhere, like seven 11s and stuff. So it's changing a little But It's like a, how it worked was that her shop was in the front of the house, and she would be hanging out in the living room, watching TV, you know, eating snacks, drinking tea, and then someone will come in. They say "Sui which means like "excuse me," and then she'd go outside and be like, "Oh, like, what can I get for you?" And then they would like hang out, and she was so generous. You know, people would come by cigarettes, and she's like, "Take this, take this. Have a have a box of tissue, or have this candy." And she like throw things at them, you know. So it was nice like hanging out with her in this shop and like just seeing how she would like gossip with everyone and just knowing the hot gossip of the neighborhood. (laughs) So is there
0: any hot gossip from that time that you remember that you can share with us?
1: I'm not sure. It was like, usually like, Oh, this person's grandson. So-and-so or like, you know, it was like little things like, Oh, I heard this person did this or like (laughs) not, not in particular. I was pretty young when it was like (laughs) going on, but it was a lot of fun just like listening in and, The grandmas from the neighborhood would always come and, like, little candies or snacks and stuff and be excited to see me and stuff. So it was a very exciting, heartwarming memory.
0: So, Maya, you've talked about you being a mixed-race kid Mm -hmm. and that your grandmother was basically your connection to your Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how has your relationship with your culture evolved since your grandmother's passing
1: I think, like, when she passed, it was almost like a double blow to me because I guess I, like, kind of took her for granted and, like, having her there and having a place to return to in Japan. And I guess it was multi layered. She ran until she was, like, 87 or something, like, very old. And then, but then she fell and hurt her hip. And so we had to put her in a home. And so the shop was closed after that. And so that was, like, one layer. And then when she passed away, it was like, oh no, like, I love so much for that but then also like I don't have this person that I relied on to share stories with me and stuff and then after that the shop the actual building caught on fire and that was gone and then now my cousin kind of like renovated the spot and she lives there so it's like a totally different house now you know so it's like multi-layers of like me realizing that I actually have to make an effort to stay connected to Japan now. I don't have a place to return to and call home. What do you
0: do to stay connected now?
1: Um, I've always been very interested in mythology and kind of like older stories of Japan. Kanazawa, where I'm from, is a very like traditional city. It's, they call it mini Kyoto. So if you go there, like the city has all these like modern areas, but also very old, like protected areas with like, castles or tea gardens or just very old houses and my grandma lived in the center of that kind of that area so that probably inspired me to be drawn to like more traditional arts and crafts so i think that is how i kind of try to stay connected
0: so let's pivot to your art your art is a manifestation of your connection or extension to your japanese culture and i was looking at your art pieces and i was just blown away. First of all, I grew up in Pakistan. (laughs) So (laughs) so for me, the vibrancy of colors that you've used, I am so used to vibrant color palette. And Mm -hmm. I could see that in your paintings. And then you have this mixture of Japanese culture and American culture. But what really stood out to me was the figures, women and nudity. And I am curious to know what is the thought process behind that? And what are you trying to tell people who look at your paintings through that medium of expression and specifically using women to basically convey your message?
1: Well, Japan is getting better, but it's still quite a like sexist society in certain ways. And I think that growing up just hearing stories of that, I just wanted to create these women that were more bold and comfortable in their bodies and not having to be modest and like covering up and stuff like that. But also even in the U.S., I think just being able to be comfortable in your body and like having a more natural looking body. That's why I always like to add little roles and like having like not super like idealistic body types in my paintings. People always ask me if they're self-portraits and I'm like, yes and no. Like they are me, but they are also like whoever is viewing the painting, I would like to have the resonating with them. So I think it is like an uplifting reason to add them in. And I also think that they're not sexual. Like the the nudity Mm. is not sexual. It's it's like being comfortable in your own body. It's
0: empowering. It's an expression of self. Yes. And let me say this, all of them, at least the paintings that I've seen, they look Mm -hmm. badass. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And that's something that really stood out to me. I was like, wow, I love it. I love it. Maya, what is the process of preparing for any exhibition? You've had, I believe, two solo exhibitions
1: this year. I had two this year, yeah, which was a lot to
0: do. <laughs> which is wonderful. But what does that process look like to you?
1: So I usually come up with a theme first and that has happened in multiple ways. Like sometimes I'll just be reading about like certain like concepts in Japanese mythology or whatever and then I'll go from there. This last exhibition was about my grandmother and that's something I've been thinking about for years, actually Mm. thinking how I could do that because I paint nude women I was like okay how do I do a show about my grandmother that's like makes sense and I think when I decided to uh show her like shop in her house which was like kind of her pride and joy I think that was like the way to include her and honor Mm. her so usually I'll come up with a theme and then I start sketching I'll do like a very rough Mm. sketch on paper for like composition and I'll like write down like different scenes that I Would want to paint, for example, or poses or things I want to show. From there, I use my iPad to Mm. get the composition down, do the line drawing, and then color. And the color is actually what takes me longer than the um, actual composition part getting the colors all balanced and creating like the right mood and setting and trying to bring in color palettes. I, I am inspired by color palettes that were used in like Showa era or Taisho era artwork and older Japanese block prints, but then also making them more vibrant. And that's I think the Bay Area, the U.S. and like pop modern Japan that comes in to add that. So playing with all of that.
0: <laughs> I am surprised you said U.S. Because in my mind, when I think of U.S., I think of muted color palette compared to Eastern (laughs) cultures. Yeah, because when I think of Eastern cultures, there's a lot more vibrancy of colors and an unapologetic expression of them versus what we see in the United States. And I may be wrong. um, I'm not an artist. So
1: actually, you know, you are right. I think being from the Bay Area, that was something that made me like exposed to so many cultures that in my head, I'm like, oh, it's so bright and like bold i think it's the boldness that is like the bay area to me but yeah modern japan is so bright and like flashy too so you know (laughs) it's a little bit of a mix (laughs) so as you
0: said you pick different pieces of japanese culture folklore subcultures is there anything Mm -hmm. that you want to explore and you
1: haven't explored so far, I've been doing a lot of work based more on just me really trying to like reconnect with Japanese culture and just stay in touch with it. It's like a personal effort to do that. But I do think like bringing a little bit more of like me being raised in the Bay Area and like, mixing that with my artwork is the next step. I actually have another solo show next April and it's going to be in Osaka. So it's my first time showing in Japan. Uh-huh which is like so exciting for me. And that time, I, I think I'm going to try to blend Japanese culture and US culture into the paintings that kind of have like a side-by-side going on. So that is the next step, I would say.
0: But I also read somewhere that when you go back to Japan or when you used to go back to Japan, people looked at you differently. You weren't Japanese Mm -hmm. enough for them, right? And Mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of us face over the years. But as a mixed race kid, probably you faced it a lot more than somebody like me who's been away from Pakistan for almost two decades. And when Mm -hmm. I go back, I do feel like the world has moved on. Pakistanis have moved on. Mm -hmm. So how has that experience been like? Can you share any stories or anecdotes? How do you reconcile different dimensions of your identity?
1: I think that like... um when I was younger and I would go back I would be treated very differently like I look different a lot of people don't even like register that I'm Japanese I have to explain to them and something that used to like frustrate me a little bit was like every year I would go back and friends would be like oh do you still speak Japanese and I'm like yes it was like my first language like come on now like I am Japanese but after a while (laughs) like after a while like the older I got I was just like you know what like I'm grateful that because I'm mixed people are interested. I get to express my like multiculturalism and share that with them so I don't get frustrated anymore. Mm. For me, it's been like a journey of like being like, okay, people are interested in my story so I can share that with them. And people are giving me the time of day, you know? And then I think what you, it was interesting what you said about you going back and because you've been away, that's like my mom's experience. And she yeah. like, so when I talked to her, when she like goes back to Japan, she's just like, oh, like I feel foreign now. Like, I don't know how things are done. Like I was actually asking her to help me write an email because my Japanese writing has gotten a little iffy the older I got. And she was like, I can't help you with that. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: You know, you bring up such an important point. I feel like I am forgetting how to write Urdu. I can speak it fluently, but I am almost scared to write it because I feel I will discover how Mm -hmm. bad I am at it now versus when I was in Pakistan. And I wish I could teach my kids how to write Urdu because it's a beautiful, Uh beautiful language. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, If I'm not confident, how will I pass it on to my kids, right? So I can totally relate to your mom, which is crazy, right? I mean, I grew up in Pakistan. I came here in my 20s and still, Mm -hmm. you know, just staying away from a place can have such a profound impact on our personalities Mm -hmm. and how we look at the world around us, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she has actually shared with me that when she goes back to Japan, the way she acts is different. And so people are like looking at her a certain way or like being like, why are you doing that? And I sometimes kind of get a pass because I'm mixed, I think. People right. Like, oh, she doesn't know. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's true. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'll take advantage of that.
0: <laughs> <You know>? Absolutely. <laughs> Maya, you talked about your story and this is something that I should have asked in the beginning, but Mm -hmm. tell me your story. There are so many ebbs and flows. There are so many beautiful memories, Mm -hmm. you dropping out of grad school to pursue art.
1: Which is an (laughs)
0: incredible feat in my mind. Tell me, where did it all start? Love for art, dropping out. What was that like? How did your family react? And where are you now with that decision?
1: So I was born in Japan, but then I moved to the US at a pretty young age, actually. But then, like I was saying earlier, we used to spend like many months back and forth until I would say like around middle school. So I used to like go to school in Japan partially of hmm. the year and then spend half the year in the US. So it was like very very interesting like kind of going back and forth the whole time i got to experience what elementary school in japan was like and a little bit of middle school which was very special i think so i did get to see what day-to-day life was actually like if i were to live in japan so i think when i was younger i did feel much more connected to my japanese side and culture and then the older i got i was spending more time in the u.s Mm -hmm. um i think middle school and high school, I was like pretty much mostly here and I would just go during the summertime. And so I did see myself becoming more used to like how life is in the US and getting a little further away from like Japanese media or like, you know, what's popular in Japan and stuff like that. So I think that's when I started to be like, oh, like I need to like make a little bit more of an effort to like stay in touch. Like I'm out here so much. And then I will say like my mom was like slightly a tiger mom when I was younger. She actually like calmed down the older I got. It wasn't crazy like some parents can be for sure. And I think because my parents are both artists, they were the like starving artists stereotype, I think they wanted me to have a better life financially. Mm. So I pursued accounting. I did my undergrad in accounting and then I went to grad school for it in University of Hawaii and I was like interning at like a pretty big company like on track to become a tax accountant but then while I was interning I was like man this is like this office life is not for me and I would wake up at 6 a.m to go to work and I was like this is not when humans should be waking up it's dark out so it's like I agree (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah and I just felt like I was being kind of fake all the time like having to put on this persona to be at the office and it just did not mesh well with me I couldn't express myself and I had always been sort of an artist as a hobby in the background and it just gave me so much more joy actually my initial thought was like okay I'm gonna drop out of grad school for accounting and go find like a design program like maybe I'll be a graphic designer or like illustrator so that was my initial thought so I dropped out kind of started doing screen printing and like I even thought about being a tattoo artist for a second so I was like maybe I moved to Japan and study tattoos or something like that and then from there I think I started painting and getting more into like galleries and during lockdown in 2020 i work in a restaurant to support myself and i lost my job so i had all this time to paint basically Mm. i like to call it the state-sponsored art residency the unemployment love it (laughs) but uh (laughs) so i had all this time to paint and yeah i really got to hone in on my practice like explore what i wanted to convey like conceptually and yeah that really pushed me forward
0: I have a lot of questions now. First, were you scared (laughs) when you took that leap of faith, when you decided to drop out of grad school?
1: I was, but at the same time, I was like, money can't buy happiness. 100%. And I was like, I'm so unhappy. I was like, I'll take less lucrative, but be happy. (laughs) And both your
0: parents are artists. Do they influence your work?
1: So my mom is a metal worker and jeweler. So I would say that not not like aesthetically per se, but um, I think her ideals and like the way she is has definitely influenced me a lot she's very like spiritual and I think my interest in like the mythology and stuff must come from her and just how she is and then my dad is a illustrator and animator so I think maybe more so from him he taught me how to use programs like illustrator and photoshop like back in middle school he would actually pay me ten dollars an hour to help him (laughs) do some of his like work (laughs) back in the day so yeah he he might have influenced me a little bit in like the more illustrative styles that I was playing.
0: So Maya, for an artist like yourself, I'm curious to know whether you create art for yourself and then hope that people will appreciate it or is there something specific or part of your art that's specially created for people to enjoy and what do you hope people get to learn or think about when they look at your art?
1: I think it's a little bit of both especially this last series I just did it was actually like a very healing experience and I did paint it so that I could remember my grandmother and honor her and like her home and actually the whole painting process I would call my mom up and be like hey like different photos we didn't have a ton of photos of the house so I made her like go through our albums and find all the little pictures of the different rooms that we had and then be like okay what type of shampoo was in the bathroom or like what was the soy sauce she used and you know we would like look for little like stories to include in the painting so that was like super fun I really got to like connect with my mom through that too that was super healing but then also on top of that I think that the more people of like different backgrounds sharing their culture in the US and sharing like their heritage, the more interesting this place becomes. Like I hope that people look at my art and it's like they get a little glimpse into Japanese culture. And I think like I have so many friends there doing similar work. Like I have a Korean friend that's doing sculpture work. Hmm. She tells me all her stories and I have like a Filipino friend that's doing like getting in touch with her culture. And it's just like so beautiful to have like all these people doing that and then like us sharing with each other. So I think or I hope I get to like be part of that of all the people of like different historic backgrounds doing that type who's of work who's your biggest critic i would say probably myself i'm sure there's other people out there but i am so hard on myself i'm like a perfectionist i mean even coming into this interview i was like very nervous as i expressed in some of the emails Why? but yeah. you did such a great <laughs> job we're having such a good conversation <laughs> i'm loving it We are. (laughs) But yeah, I think I am pretty hard on myself. I'm getting better. (laughs)
0: And what do your parents think of your art?
1: I'm gonna share a little story that was like very touching and moving. so in Thanksgiving. So my mom had come to see my show for the opening. She's the one that came over and put me in a kimono. I put I wore my grandma's kimono to the opening and she is the one that came over and put me in it. It's very hard to put on a kimono, you have to have like another person put it on you usually. So she did that for me and then we went to the show and um, she saw the paintings and you know while we were preparing for the exhibition, she was just like, Oh, why are you making me do all this work? I'm busy, like, why are you bothering me? But then when she saw it and then it Thanksgiving she just was like thank you so much for painting my childhood home and like we had this moment where like she started crying and then like I started crying and then we were like hugging each other and like crying together and it was like I just realized that like she also needed to heal from this like home being lost in her mother and like my Japanese family reached out to me like thank you so much for painting our that house and I was like memorialized and it was just like very moving that moment.
0: How important do you think it is for you to make art that is inclusive in terms of people being able to buy it or access it? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. artists create art that is quite exclusionary, right? Not everybody Mm -hmm. can buy it or own it Mm -hmm. and enjoy Mm -hmm. it.
1: Definitely. I think there should be an accessibility to art. And I think that for me, I make prints of my artwork to be like a more accessible point. And I think also that I have been raising my prices as I work on my artwork just to be able to like reward myself. And I think it's myself worth, but at the same time I know that like I can't afford my own art. <laughs> so I think that making prints to offer to people or I have made stuff in the past like T shirts. I've done different things like zines. i have on a project with a friend where we, she's actually um, half Chinese, half Indonesian. And me and her did this like zine together, highlighting different mythological stories that overlap between Chinese culture and uh, Japanese culture. And that's like a way also to access. So yeah, there's been ways. I think I've tried to offer my artwork to many more people. <laughs>
0: that's great. It's so good to know. Thank you so much. Maya, in the end, if you were to describe America in a Mm -hmm. word or a sentence, how would you do
1: that? I think that America is very complicated because there's so many um, things that need to be worked on. There's a lot of really like messed up things happening right now and always. But with that said, in the context of kind of like what I've been talking about, I think that um, because I grew up in the Bay Area too, which is Quite different than the rest of the U.S. I would say it's a very like diverse place. And I was able to like be around people of so many different cultures growing up and being able to learn about different cultures and share my culture too. And I wouldn't have had that if I was raised in Japan. So I think I really mm. do appreciate the ability of like us to be around so many types of people and just like have the freedom to like express our culture too without having to hide it. So that I do think is a beautiful point to see the bright side
0: You're absolutely right. I think about this a lot. If I stayed in Pakistan, I wouldn't meet so many incredible people from different backgrounds, cultural, racial, ethnic identities, sexual orientations. Mm -hmm. It's something that is so unique and so beautiful about America, despite America's shortcomings.
1: right there are many <laughs> there are many <laughs> yeah.
0: but you know as i said on one of my previous episodes it's holiday season so we are being generous mm-hmm. right now why where can people find your art
1: so you can find me on instagram at one kenobi it's f-u-j-i the number one K-E-N-O-B-E or Fuji.com and that's M-A-Y-A-F-U-J-I.com and is where you can find most of my work. My website is up to date so you can see my new works and actually I've been sharing on my stories on Instagram like the little stories that are embedded in my recent series. Oh. So I'll like explain like little like stories like for for example one of them is like this miso soup with like little clams that my grandma would always have ready for me every year when I would return to Japan and there's a painting about that so I'm, just, I'm trying to share the little heartwarming stories that are like kind of sprinkled throughout the last series so check it out <laughs> yeah
0: I was reading through those stories they're incredible they do put everything in perspective as you look at paintings which are so beautiful thank you yeah, so thank much you. Maya this was wonderful I can't wait to share this conversation with everyone
1: thank you so much it was so good talking with you and thank you so much for reaching out i feel very honored thank you so much
0: so if you guys haven't checked out maya's painting do it right now i am obsessed with her work I'm reading about it. I follow her on Instagram. I'm even looking at the stories that she's telling about each painting, how she's created that particular painting. So don't forget to go to her website. It's important to support artists from different backgrounds. This is how we grow. This is how we gain the confidence to create content and produce art. It's so, so, so important. Talking about support, if you haven't still followed us on Instagram or Twitter, please do. It helps us grow. Our Instagram is at ImmigrantlyPod. Our Twitter is at Immigrantly underscore Pod. And guys, it's holiday season. Everybody's being nice and generous. Have you looked at our Patreon we need more patrons. We need people, subscribers, who believe in our content, not necessarily what we are giving on Patreon, but really, truly believe in our content and want us to come back Every single week with these incredible stories, please check out our Patreon. You can find links everywhere on our socials and let us know if you do. If you become a subscriber, let us know and we'll share your information on our socials and we'll give you a shout out on our podcast. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Michaela Strother. The editorial review was done by UD Liu. Our editor is Hazek Ahmed Farid. Until next time, take care.